How do you meditate or do you meditate? Welcome to episode 151 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Alba, who used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Alba, for your generous contribution. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During the show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of meditation. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. And joining me is co-host Eric. How are you doing today, Eric? I'm doing great, Spencer. It's an absolutely gorgeous morning here in Greenwich, Connecticut. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic meditation. Following a short break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about how we practice these principles in all our affairs. We'll follow that with your email and voice contributions and some brief news about the podcast before closing. I wanted to start with a reading from Courage to Change. This is uh, December 3rd, which is page 338. What is meditation? Al-Anon leaves that question open for each of us to answer in our own way. Drawing upon the experiences of other Al-Anon members can help us find our own path. Here are only a few of the ways members of the fellowship have shared. To me, meditation is a higher spiritual awareness. I practice remembering that every action can serve a spiritual purpose. I go to a quiet place, close my eyes, and repeat the words of the serenity prayer to myself in a gentle voice. I need to get beyond my thoughts, so I concentrate on my breathing, counting from one to ten over and over as I breathe in and out. I simply step back and watch my thoughts as if I were watching a play. I try to keep my attention on the present day only, leaving the past and the future alone. I focus on a flower. When my thoughts stray, I accept that my mind is just doing its job, thinking, and then gently return to my subject. In my mind, I picture my higher power's hands. One by one, I place my problems and worries, my joy and my gratitude into those hands, and finally, I climb in too. So, Eric, step 11 suggests that through prayer and meditation, we can improve our conscious contact with our higher power. How do you understand this concept of meditation Before you came into the program, did you have an understanding of of meditation and maybe what its benefits might be for you? Um, No. (laughs) A short answer. You know, I always had an appreciation for nature. I did not grow up in the disease. Um, I liked the outdoors, you know, being outside, hiking, riding, horses, fly fishing was, I guess, a form of meditation, and I've heard it discussed in on phone meetings and there's a particular phone meditation meeting that's an Al-Anon meeting where the host goes on to say in her preamble meditation takes many forms to the different uh, many people and be practiced in quiet contemplation reading running even washing the dishes but prior to program I didn't think of that you know quiet time and peaceful time as meditative I just felt that it, you know, had some benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's changed drastically through program. Yeah, for me, um, I grew up in the in the '60s and the '70s, and 
I think when I first heard the the word meditation, I had to connect with the transcendental meditation and all the the weird stuff that was that was going on there and around transcendental meditation and levitation and I don't know what all and it, and it just seemed really sort of out there and and not something that felt like there was any reality to it to me because uh, I didn't didn't believe in what the vocal people were saying about it at the time and and so I don't, I don't think I ever really thought about meditation as such uh, but but like you I would be able to to go out in the woods or later um, when I was living in a place that had them to go up in the mountains or out in the desert and and just be um, be there be in that place and not have to be doing something and when I look back I recognize that that was a form of meditation. It was a form of, because I think my, my understanding sort of of the purpose of meditation now is to disconnect from the, the monkey brain, as, as uh, I think they call it, that part of my brain that's just constantly going, constantly chattering, and to, to try to find quiet. And, and you talked about, about having those moments of peace and silence. So I guess neither of us really knew we were meditating or thought about meditating before we we came here. Would that be a true statement for you? Yes, for sure. Um, again, growing up in Pennsylvania, then the Midwest, and, you know, with a stable family, three older brothers, you know, we our vacations were two places that I would say now were ideal for meditation, like uh, the Grand Canyon. You know, I spent my summers in Wyoming on a, on a horse ranch. A lot of our work was early morning riding and uh, hiking up into the Tetons and uh, camping on glaciers, observing the miraculous beauty of those mountain ranges. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, it uh, obviously it was beautiful and it was mindful and spiritual. Um, but the whole concept of meditation, when uh, my wife's disease started affecting me, and when I embraced meditation, took a whole different dimension. That's kind of where I wanted to focus today on, you know, how we use meditation in our program. Absolutely. I found a great reading, and I wanted to actually start with this and then go further, because a while back, one of the elder statesmen of our program named John, he has been in program for probably 30 years, maybe more. He said something about a year ago, and it really resonated with me. And he said, the steps are in order for a reason, all except one. And that's step 11. Hmm. And step 11, you can start day one. I thought, wow, that's interesting. But I wondered if that was actually Alan on you know, approved, because I, you know, most people will say the steps are in order for a reason. He's the only person I've ever heard say, however, with the exception of one. And I found the reading that says just that. It's October 17th from one day to time. And said the 12 steps make up a body of spiritual wisdom that unfolds and expands our understanding as we study them one after another. There's one step, however, that could be studied from the very outset, every day, 
for its extraordinary power to throw light on the others. This is the 11th, which speaks of prayer and meditation. Meditation is the quiet and sustained application of the mind to the contemplation of a spiritual truth. Its purpose is to deflect our minds from the problems we are experiencing, to raise our thoughts above the grievances and discontent that color our thinking. And the reminder says, I will set aside at least five minutes, morning and night, for spiritual concentration, excluding from my mind all but one spiritual idea. I will begin and end each meditation with a conscious awareness of God. And the quote says, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out, which obviously is step 11. Which is step 11, exactly. And, you know, the interesting thing to me in that reading, well, there's a number of interesting things to me, and I won't say this is the only thing, is the way in which that reading defines meditation, which is the the contemplation of, what did it say, a single spiritual truth? Yeah, uh, is the quiet and sustained application of the mind to the contemplation of a spiritual truth. Purpose is to deflect our minds from the problems we're experiencing. Boy, do we all need some of that, huh? Yeah, and and that's that's a little bit different than yeah the understanding of of meditation. It seems to be most prevalent, mm-hmm. uh, at least in my community, uh, which is the what what I think is more commonly called mindfulness meditation, which is this this practice of trying to let go of any sort of conscious thought uh, to quiet the mind. And I think that a lot of people, myself included, uh, find that that particular practice to be difficult at times. This notion of, of contemplation, contemplation on one thing, uh, I think is perhaps a little easier because for me at least, it's easier for me to focus on something than to try to not focus on anything? Well, I've done a lot of different types, and what you're referring to, mindful meditation, you know, was kind of where I started. I started with, I think, persons who's credited with mindful meditation, the origin or uh, the, the practice of mindful meditation, which is John Kabat-Zinn, and started with him. I started uh, listening and reading, and... um yeah, he's become an author, uh, speaker. I mean, he speaks regularly at Google, where they'll have a room that people can come to to do a half an hour meditation with. You know, the the master himself, John Kabat-Zinn. But um, where I think a lot of people begin or are instructed, you know, gently instructed to try to begin, is that exact idea of quieting sustained application to one thing, and it's usually breathing. I think a lot of meditation practices start with breathing, because Mm -hmm. that's the one thing that's constant in everyone, and it is something that we can think about. I go to a music meditation twice a week that's offered by, uh, believe it or not, a doctor of music meditation. She goes to hospitals with uh, Tibetan singing bowls and flute typically to terminal cancer patients, uh, but she also offers a free uh, half-hour 
at the hospital at the chapel here in Greenwich. Yeah, she uses music, so that's one thing that we can focus on. There's a lot of music meditations. There's a lot of guided meditations, but there's, I think in the beginning, most uh, beginners are suggested to focus on the breathing. This is something we all have, and if we can just quiet our breath. I heard it once referred to as trying to inhale and exhale as if we're on a Ferris wheel. So the upside of you know the Ferris wheel is our in-breath. The downside is the out-breath to just smooth it out. So I think a lot of us came into the program panting rather than breathing. Mm. <laughs> I like that expression. <laughs> yeah, panting, just... <laughs> My life is crazy. I can't breathe. Gasping. So, yeah, gasping. Yeah. Just and and I it is so true that so on that note, how many times do you tell yourself because I know I tell myself to stop and take a breath to relax to 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 relieve tension when when i'm when i'm in stress just the the fact of taking a deep breath consciously taking a deep breath can can help to relieve some of that stress it's sort of a a moment of of that focus on breathing um that happens longer for a longer period of time in meditation well my answer is more and more I've come to realize, and, and I've printed some things to talk about later, about the absolutely measurable effects on the brain of meditation. But the answer to the question is, you know, how often can I actually use that tool of taking a breath, allowing a moment before reacting or responding? Mm. The answer is more and more. And the more I use it, the more I'm able to stay in the moment and allow, if there is a message from my higher power about a direction to take, just allowing that moment an opportunity for it to surface and show itself. Um, and the more I meditate, the more I'm able to find those moments. I've come to think of meditation for me as a muscle. Yeah. Uh, just as any other uh, our tools are. You know, the more we go to the gym, the stronger we get. The more meetings we attend and work our program, the stronger we become in achieving whatever our goal is. For me, the goal has been, uh, from day one, was serenity, peace of mind. And I'm sorry I didn't find meditation sooner because it has been by far the most influential tool that I have found get in my elemental program. And it is so true that I, I had this question uh, for discussion. It says, how do you practice meditation? And by that, I meant uh, what, what forms of meditation do you mm-hmm. find most helpful? Do you do most often? Whatever. But uh, you reminded me that it's also something that we have to practice in the sense that it's not something that for most of us comes naturally. It's not something that we learned as children and just know how to do it, like riding a bicycle or whatever. 
but it's something that that we do have to practice and and that when we hear oh meditate for 15 minutes meditate for half an hour and and we think i think oh there's no way i i could actually sit still for that long uh, not doing anything and just as i wouldn't go into the gym or or go onto the track and expect to be able to run a 5k without working up to it particularly at at this point in my life uh, i shouldn't expect to be able to do a full period whatever that time is 20 minutes half an hour of meditation uh, without working up to it and and so maybe the uh, the sense of failure that that we might have if we if we try to jump right in and do do the full thing uh, is is normal and and we need to you know we, we we should recognize that oh man i'm trying to use not not use those words need and should um, we can recognize that that in fact if we start small and work up uh, we will get there uh, but that we're probably not going to be a, a perfect meditator uh, the first time we try it, right? Exactly. And, you know, if uh, if I want a six-pack, I'm not going to go to the gym and try to do 400 sit-ups. Having been <laughs> on the couch. Okay. Ouch. I'm, I'm going to start with 10, and the next day maybe 15, and then take a rest and go back next week. It really is a perfect example of almost every other tool in our program that it takes practice and it is a muscle and there are plenty, plenty of readings about this. Some of which I've printed. If we can get to, you know, from psychology today Mm -hmm. that this is, it's called, this is your brain on meditation. Pretty cool. This article is titled, titled uh, from Forbes magazine says seven ways meditation can actually change the brain. And it goes on to say, you know, I mean, a lot of references, a lot of research, and pretty convincing and pretty thoroughly uh, references studies by UCLA, uh, by other learning, the Yale University. And in fact, when you mentioned the monkey mind, I mean, that was what I was trying to relieve, my overwhelming anxiety. And I'll just paraphrase a little from it. It said, meditation reduces activity in the brain's, quote, me center. And says one of the most interesting studies in the last few years carried out at Yale University found that mindfulness meditation decreased activity in the default mode network, DMN, the brain network responsible for mind wandering and self referential thoughts, aka monkey mind. Hmm. The DMN is on or active when we're not thinking about anything in particular, when our minds are just wandering from thought to thought. Since mind wandering is typically associated with being less happy, ruminating and worrying about the past and the future is the goal for many people to dial it down. Several studies have shown that meditation, through its quieting effect on the DMN, appears to do just that. And even when the mind does start to wander because of the new connections that form, meditators are better at snapping back out of it. There's another from Johns Hopkins that says the ability to reduce symptoms of depression, anxiety, and pain 
I mean, it sounds amazing. I'll just finish that sentence, that paragraph. If it says this, uh, if it says uh, a review study last year at Johns Hopkins looked at the relationship between mindfulness meditation and its ability to reduce symptoms of depression, anxiety, and pain. None of us in Alamon know anything about those, right? <laughs> oh, I was Research. never anxious. No, uh-uh, no. <laughs> Researcher Madhav Goyal and his team found that the effect the effect size of meditation was moderate at point zero at zero point three. If this sounds low, keep in mind that the effective size for antidepressants is also zero point three, which makes the effect of meditation sound pretty good. Meditation is, after all, an active form of brain training. There we go. Train your brain. Um, Yeah, and get off meds. You know, I used to take medication for anxiety, and uh, and I'm off of all of them. And I credit that with meditation. Okay, I got a couple of of calls um, over the last couple weeks about meditation, and I want to. Uh, start by playing this one from Carrie. Hi, Spencer. Um, this is Carrie, and I just heard that your next topic will be meditation, which is so cool because oftentimes um, the topics are so spot on for me. So I just wanted to share a little bit about that topic. I'm in yoga therapy teacher training right now, and a gentleman from California who studied with a mentor um, from India for 20 years. Um, he came and taught us meditation. So I'm just going to read some of my notes I took in class, if that's okay, because it really helped me so much. And he defined uh, meditation as the ability to maintain continual connection with an object. Uh, an example of that is he did a guided meditation for us. We focused on the moon, and it was like the qualities of the moon, and it was it was really powerful for me. And so he says that if we're unable to maintain our focus, that is because our preparation is insufficient. For yoga, it's uh, that's where the asanas come in, the, the poses. And of course, America has changed yoga so much into an exercise, but the, my understanding of yoga is one of the elements of it is to be able to sit in a seated position to meditate um, comfortably. And so that's the preparation he's talking about. And so he said um, the most popular forms of meditations are transcendental meditation and mindful meditation, but that those don't address the preparation. Meditation should feel easy and pleasant, and this takes preparation appropriate to each person individually. So a little more about preparation, that it is helpful to do the same asanas, the same yoga poses each time, and that is a way just to help our bodies know that, you know, like help settle. You know, oftentimes we have little rituals before bed, you know, maybe we brush our teeth, wash our face, get a glass of water, put it by the bed, those kind of things. So it's that helps with that, and also the same time each day. So I asked him how to make meditation more accessible, because I myself have noticed it with myself and with other people. It seems like anytime the word meditation comes up, it's like someone says, oh, I need to do that more, or oh, I used to do that regularly and now I don't. And it just seems like maybe some kind of shame or guilt or pressure that we put on ourselves. And for me, I 
was intimidated by it as well because my misunderstanding about it was that it was to clear my mind. And that sounds awful. (laughs) That sounds scary and like I can't do that. And so for me to hear that preparation helps and to have a focus, that sounds so much better for me. What he also offered um, when I asked that question, um, how to make yoga more I'm sorry, yoga, meditation more accessible. He said um, that this is a real path and it takes real work. People say they want to feel better, but they may not want to do the footwork. And people have different levels of experiencing suffering. And then he also said um, that there's no substitute for having a mentor. And so that all sounds so lovely to me and as someone who's in a 12-step program and I'm working with a sponsor, that just sounds so nice and um, it compliments so nicely. I, I did ask him after class, I was like, you know, so you have a mentor and then you have mentees, you know, and so it's like, yeah, just like um, Al-Anon. The, the part about having a mentor really appeals to me and, and I had never heard that before. Um, and, and that is my understanding of um, true yoga as it's meant to be, is that you have someone that you go to that, you know, he's calling mentor, and, and they give you asanas to do, a meditation to do, and they look at your eating and, and your wellness, like, as, as a whole picture, which I really love. So, yeah, I wanted to share it, and it's a wonderful topic for me, meditation. It's, like, just one of those things that I I know it would be so helpful for me And I'm scared of it (laughs) because it represents to me having to be with myself more, (laughs) maybe even like looking in the mirror. And I've worked pretty hard not to do that. And again, I know that it would provide a lot of peace for me. So those things really helped me and made me feel like maybe I can explore and play and maybe have fun with it as well, which really appeals to me as well. Thank you so much. I'll keep listening. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. I really, I guess, connected with the, what she said at the end there about meditation is something that she, she'd like to do, but it's scary partly because it seems to entail getting in touch with herself. Do you have thoughts on what Carrie had to share with us? Yeah, I mean, she pretty much reiterates what we've been talking about. The other thing that that she connected it with, um, you know, some other some other spiritual practices that she's working on herself, and um, you know that somebody might find that helpful. Uh, I know a lot of people in the program who find um, value in in practicing yoga, who find uh, you know some sort of spiritual connection, uh, or maybe uh, getting out of themselves for a little bit, which. Uh, getting that monkey mind to quiet down. Yeah, there's, there seems to be a, you know a lot of connection between yoga and meditation. I use a particular app for my meditation. If you care to make a um, show note about that, uh, it's oh yeah, my absolute absolute go to. You know, because I looked at dozens of apps for mm-hmm. meditation, and they're all over the place. But this one is really, I think, astounding because it has meditations of 
10 different types or 12 different types of categories, mindfulness, uh, sleep, music, guided, um, from people around the world who post them and people around the world then who listen to them. And, um, you can see a map of the world and see every dot where someone's meditating. And when you finish, you can see you just finished meditating with 360 people. Uh, it's, it's quite amazing and it tracks your meditation. Gives you the last week, how many minutes or hours, the last month, the last number of consistent days you meditated. And, it, you know, a little bit of feedback that is helpful for me to remember that this is a tool and, uh, I don't want to miss going to the gym if I'm trying to get to the Olympics. And again, my gold medal is serenity, and this is helping. So I will meditate every day, possible, so the, to move my serenity ball a little further uh, ahead. Yeah, I've used um, a couple of different apps. I, I think the one you're talking about is the Insight Timer. I just pulled that up. It says 1,265 meditating now with pretty cool, right? dots in the U.S. and Europe and a few in Asia and South America and Australia. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's it's nighttime over there. so. And it even says, you know, uh, when you finish, it says, in, you know, it says uh, in your area. And I'll see people from my Al-Anon groups, you know, Stuart mm -hmm. O just meditated with you for the last 30 minutes. Uh, you know, four people in Greenwich, six people in Stanford. It gives you a local, you know, 10, 15-mile radius of everybody that may have just coincidentally been meditating with you. It's kind of cool. And and this app is free, I think, isn't it? It's free. There's, I think there's like a dollar uh upcharge for some other features, but it's unnecessary. So, yeah, and, and I'd love to get uh, suggestions from, from others. One of the things that helps me to practice in the sense of rehearsing uh, if you, the meditation is to have some guidance and to have some community rather than just trying to do it on my own. Uh, even just having the timer that uh, maybe rings a, a, a bell every few minutes to sort of let me know that time is moving and it will be over. <laughs> <laughs> I think the misconception that, you know, that some people have a fear of meditation is that they have to plant themselves down and not move for 15 or 20 minutes. You know, I think I've read it many times when starting meditation, start with a minute or two. You know, see if you can just do a minute or two, work it up to three or four, five or six. I'm up to 30 to 45 minutes a morning. Mm -hmm. And boy, is the payoff tangible. It is really palpable to pay off. I am now able to stay in this kind of tone of voice, even in chaotic, stressful situations, and find that muscle that says, take a breath. That I'm completely crediting as my practice of meditation to stop the monkey mind from forecasting outcomes, by expectations, by taking a breath. It's a muscle. I'm convinced the brain has the ability to grow, and it's in these medical references, it's absolutely uh, been shown to be true that the areas of the brain after consistent meditation are more dense, meaning more growth. 
I think as you point out, there are different ways to meditate that are not just sitting still. I know I have I have another app that has some walking meditations. I'm reminded of an experience that I witnessed, I guess, uh, a few years back. I was uh, at a, uh, a summer leadership training for high school age youth. And as part of that, I was helping to lead a group, I think, of about eight out of the larger group that were exploring their understanding of spirituality and and themselves. So part of their practice was every day in the afternoon, they would spend an hour in contemplation on a particular question. And these were questions like, you know, what do I believe about right and wrong? Okay, not, not, not simple questions. Uh, and not questions that have an answer, but a question, questions that require you to really sort of dig into yourself and, and find what you believe. One day, and I don't remember what the question was that day, but uh, it, had, it, it was very hot. And one of the girls in the group, when it came around to her time to talk about um, what she had discovered about herself, she said, you know, I didn't really, I didn't really spend my time in contemplation. I went out and they had sprinklers going and, uh, and I stood there and, and as the sprinkler came around, I would be, have this momentary wet, cold, and, and I would jump and, and, and it would be wonderful against the hundred degree heat. And then I would, I would stand there and watch the, the spray of the sprinkler and the rainbows in the, in the water. And, and then it would come around and I, I would jump again. And so I didn't really get anything done. And I said, you know, I said, that absolutely was a form of meditation that you were being just in the moment, just experiencing what was happening and taking it in, in its fullness, not worrying about yesterday or tomorrow. So I would say, yeah, you, you did spend the hour in contemplation. You spent the hour in contemplation of the moment. And that's a wonderful thing to be able to do. And that so much is not what we think about when we think about meditation, standing outside on a 100-degree day while the sprinkler comes around and, and just being there and, and experiencing it. But it is, at least in my opinion. If we're scared of sitting still, we can... We can think about other ways of doing it. And you talked about music meditation as well. Have you uh, done some of that? Yeah, uh, that's actually a regular part of my meditation. I'll choose from the same app. There's lots of music meditations with no narration. Uh, that's simply Tibetan singing bowls, water sounds of streams, flute. The two, the two I do you know, live are twice a week uh, for half an hour. And as I mentioned, instructions by a doctor of music therapy. Uh, and she plays Tibetan singing bowls and flute. She does a bit of guided meditation. The second one she added, because it was became so popular, was just a, a gong meditation where we sit facing outward in a circle. And uh, she has this large three-foot diameter gong that she uh, uses to just sort of, def like, I, like it said earlier, deflect our brain uh, for just a little bit of time to, I guess, you know, exercise that area that allows clarity. Maybe meditation is simply, you know, widening the spot in our brain that allows a little clarity in, you know, pushing some of the noise out. 
and opening up a doorway for our higher power to suggest an alternative to the way we've been trained or conditioned to react. So, yeah, I do music meditation. I practice several different types. I'm not married to any particular type. I try a new one almost every day. I have some that are favorites for sleep, for instance, Yoga Nidra is something that, uh, again, as an example of how well this works, if you work it, there are many meditations on sleep because a lot of us in programs suffer from sleep issues. And when I have practiced the particular is Yoga Nidra is the one that I think focuses on sleep, but there are many others. When I wake up at 2 o'clock and, you know, the hamsters start strapping on the Nikes, I put the uh, yoga nidra meditation on. And now after several months, not every night, but when it happens that I wake and my mind wants to go monkey, I put it on. And I used to be able to listen. It's 20 minutes or so, and I'd listen to it with headphones. And now I'm back asleep well before the guided meditation is even over. Sometimes within the first three minutes, because my mind's become conditioned to know I'm doing this to quiet myself and to get back to sleep. It's almost as if some people say, you know, you know, your bedroom is your sanctuary, okay? You shouldn't have a TV, but you're cueing yourself that it's time for sleep when you brush your teeth, when you put on your pajamas, when you get into bed. Those are cues. Just as when the mind uses cues for other purposes. Meditation, I think, for me, has been a cue to slow down and allow some space between an event and a response. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the links you sent me is titled The Most Relaxing Songs of All Time According to Science. I found some of the, the what they talked about in here. It's fascinating because I had not, I don't think I had heard these things before. That So the, the idea that music can be designed to evoke specific reactions and this most relaxing tune ever that they they have here it says the aim was to create a song to induce a serenity and calmness in people that surpassed anything else out there engineering behind the song was drawn from scientific theory to slow breathing and reduce mental activity its strategic baselines rhythms and harmonies work to induce a biting sleepiness what is this biting sleepiness i don't know it says in fact that your heart starts to match the beat of the music after about five minutes or is at least heavily influenced by the beat. And that's, wow, um, I really hadn't hadn't thought about that. Then I scrolled down through the songs. They got, I think, 10 songs or something here in this most relaxing songs. And the, the fourth song is a song by Enya. And I remembered when our children were young, by young I mean maybe up to about, 10 or 11 years old uh, when they would start just getting crazy and, and, and just, we couldn't take it anymore. There was too much chaos going on. We would, we would play Enya's music and it did have this sort of calming influence on everybody, uh, the kids, the adults, everybody, and, and brought us back to, you know, a place of a little bit more ability to think and to, uh, not freak out, I guess, and and the kids would would be a little less crazy playing that music, and I think our uh, our nanny at the time 
called it tranquilizer music. And here we go. Science says, yes, this is true, that this sort of music can can actually calm us. Better than Benadryl. <laughs> yeah, and with less side effects. Because, <laughs> you know, right, right on the box it says, do not use on children for sleep. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because... Benadryl, the drug that's in Benadryl, is also sold as a sleep aid. Right. right. Uh, many of the over-the-counter uh, sleep aids that you find in the drugstore actually are Benadryl. And it's a lot cheaper to buy the Benadryl than it is to buy the sleep aid. And it's actually nothing if we can use music. Uh, cost yeah. zero. <laughs> yeah. I have, used, <laughs> I have used that technique of uh, music, quiet music, or, or na- nature sounds. I have some, again, apps on my phone that that will play water sounds, a waterfall, a stream, waves, or or wind, or other natural sounds. And I have used these when I'm traveling uh, cross-country on a plane, particularly on a red-eye flight. I plug my earbuds in, which also help to, to block out the noise around me, and put on one of these these natural sounds, and it really helps me to to calm myself and to sleep in this otherwise pretty chaotic environment of, of, of a airplane with, you know, people trying to sleep and people trying to not watch movies and kids not sleeping and all that stuff that happens. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing how that can work for me. Music, you know, and even music being any sort of sound is absolutely a form of meditation. I, I for a while used just that for meditation, just wind chimes, you know, there's plenty of apps that have just music. You can combine two or three or four, a frog with uh, a bird and the wind and a babbling brook, you know, yeah. and save that as the group that you have as a favorite. Um, but yeah, absolutely. The meditation that's on, you know, the phone bridge, I think it's 8.30 every morning, is um, pretty pretty cool. And it's uh, usually led by the same woman, and again, she goes to say, you know, meditation can take many, many different forms, and it can be washing the dishes, you know, going for a walk. I mean, I choose looking at a flower. I, te- I tend to sometimes use nature as as my tool for meditation, and I'll just sit and look at the smallest of things, the smallest flower in, buried in the yard, just like a little weedy-looking flower. It can be pretty amazing to just stare at and see that this is not made by man. Something very spiritual about that. And uh, sitting and focusing on it quiets me, which is what I came into this program for, to quiet my mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hey, so you've mentioned this uh, meditation phone meeting or meditation phone bridge a couple of times. Can you uh, send me... Uh, reference to how somebody would find out about that, how somebody would connect with it? The phone bridge is something that's on the website. They're all Al-Anon meetings. I've just been in a lot of them. And that is at uh, phonemeetings.org. And that gives you a calendar for the week. There's probably four, five, six a day on different subjects. 6 a.m. starts with the three daily readers, and they go on with other subjects throughout the day. They also, during those meetings, the moderator sometimes will reference other meetings that are not on that phone bridge, that phone line, that are taking place elsewhere across the country at different times. So I do shortcuts to the ones that I enjoy. One of them is the 
meditation meeting. It's at eight thirty, I believe, every morning. If you'd like, I'll give it the phone number for it, or you can put it in the show notes. It's seven one two seven one two four three two four three two eight eight one eight 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 one eight. And then you pause, and it'll say enter the pin code. Pin code is four eight 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 pound. And that you said that's at eight thirty. That would be Eastern time. Describing, you know, what what it is we're doing, and and then basically the meeting goes silent from about eight forty until five to nine, and then it's a little sharing, and that's it. The 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 concept of silence of making a phone call for silence. I know it's a little like twisted, but it's it's cool. very cool though because <laughs> you know there are other sixty right. people on the phone, right? Just that we all can do it is pretty powerful. Yeah, yeah. Being silent together is very different from being silent by yourself. It's true. Yeah, there's a power to it. We have uh, always in our service at church a period of silence, uh, which people can use for meditation or prayer or uh, whatever moves them. And I often during that time will look up, we have skylights over the uh, the wall at the at the I guess it's the front of the sanctuary and and there's always a different pattern of light every every morning every time every of of the day uh, coming through those skylights onto the wall and and it, this notion of meditation being contemplation of of one thing is I can use that wall I can use the light pattern on the wall as a a place to focus that gets me away from that hamster wheel, that monkey mind, whatever we want to call it. And just thinking about all the different ways that we can quiet our mind, I guess that's, I guess when I think about it that way, instead of saying the word meditation, if I think about quieting my mind about uh, letting go of the, letting go of the me, the me, 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 me. Oh no. The, uh, what was that word you used? Um, when, when we're just, sort of chewing over stuff that happened or stuff that might happen. And and there was a wonderful word that you used in that reading, and I don't remember what it is now. Oh, well. If I think about that as the practice, and then, oh, yeah, I can do that in lots of different ways. Uh, If I hear the word meditation, I need to broaden, I guess I need to broaden the definition of what that word means. And then it becomes something that's a little easier for me to, to think about doing. And all it takes is a start. Like, again, any muscle, just starting slowly and working up, you see the benefit. But I wanted to mention these two things from, again, uh, this is from Benefits of Meditation, The Power of the Silent Mind Over the Body. Mm-hmm. Makes an awfully good case, and as do all of these, uh, about the not only emotional benefits, but the physical benefits of meditation. It says, the 2011 study published in the Journal of Psychiatric Research uh, found it takes up to two months to get a better brain. Participants who were involved in the meditation program for eight weeks had gray matter that was denser in areas associated with learning, memory, processing, and emotional regulation. Since meditation has a significant toll on the brain, and the brain controls all of you, it can protect your body when it's most vulnerable to, vulnerable to be ill. Compared to non-meditators, meditators are able to produce a greater number of antibodies 
that have an increased immune function when given the flu virus, according to a study published in the Journal of Psychosomatic Medicine. Furthermore, meditators may be able to see change on a cellular level with an increase in telomere length, which is associated with a decreased likelihood of disease such as cardiovascular disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, and cancer. Meditation not only benefits the mind and body, but it also the soul. It can help meditators become more empathetic. I've heard that in about four different things I just happened to pull up. Empathy. Um, and the last thing I'll read is from Psychology Today, which says the daily practice is important. Essentially, the science proves what we know to be true from the actual experience of meditating. What the data demonstrate is that meditation facilitates strengthening the assessment center, weakening the unhelpful aspects of the me center that can cause you to take things personally. Strengthening the helpful parts of the me center involved with empathy and understanding others and changing the connections to, from, the bodily sensation fear centers such that you experience sensation in a less reactive, more balanced and holistic way. In a very real way, you literally are changing your brain for the better when you meditate. So exercise that brain by meditating. That's, um, yep. yeah. Uh, I got another phone call uh, from Patty. I want to play. Hey, Spencer. This is Patty in Colorado. You mentioned that you were working on an upcoming show on the topic of meditation, and I wanted to share about my experience with it. I hear a lot of people say that they'd like to meditate but find it really hard, maybe impossible, to sit still and try not to think. The thing is, everybody feels that way. It's hard work. I've never even heard of anyone who finds meditation easy or fun, but it's well established scientifically that meditation benefits us in a number of important ways and that it's one of the best things we can do for our mental and emotional health. I've tried quite a few times over the years to develop a meditation practice and only in the past few months have finally gotten some traction. I'm now meditating every day. A couple of things have helped me make this breakthrough. One is a book, Eight Minute Meditation, Quiet Your Mind, Change Your Life, by Victor Davich. D-A-V-I-C-H. It's entirely non-spiritual and non-religious. He breaks down the benefits of meditation in a way that's very inspiring and then provides a simple step-by-step -step system for getting started. As the title says, it's based on starting with just eight-minute meditations because that's about the minimum amount of time that the studies say it does you some actual good. That book got me started. One crucial thing is for me is to use some kind of timer. This eliminates the urge to keep opening my eyes and checking whether the eight minutes is over yet. Another crucial thing for me was finding a time in my daily routine. That was actually really hard because once the day is zooming along, I find it especially hard to sit down and meditate. And in the evening, I'm too tired. What worked for me was attaching this brief eight minutes to the end of a part of my morning routine. After all, it's only eight minutes. I stick it on to the end of my short yoga practice. But I think it could work to stick it on to something else, too, 
say, as soon as you finish brushing your teeth, immediately sit down and meditate. Having said all that, I recently read some parts of AA's big book, which talk about meditation. I think that's a good place to try and understand what the programs mean by the word. Interestingly, it sounds to me like the original intention was closer to what is usually called contemplation, which is when you sit and think about something, uh, a passage of writing or um, some truth. So it sounds like they weren't necessarily recommending formal sitting med- meditation. So that's something to think about, too, and I'd love to hear what people who have been in the program a long time think about that. Okay, that's all I've got. Hello to everybody who listens, and bye for now. You know, we talked about that contemplation fitting into, actually, the the broader uh, practice of meditation, uh, that of, of focusing on a single a single thing at a time. Any other thoughts that you have on, on what Patty had to say? I think any version of people's meditation is, is good if it works for them. Um, I've heard people focus. Uh, I tried this for a while. I'm just looking at, I'm trying to imagine the flame of a candle. If I could prevent my breath from flickering that flame, I was uh, controlling my breathing, you know? Anything that works for someone is 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 uh, is good, and uh, they should find their own way to use this practice. I really I liked what she said about connecting it to something that you're already doing, yep. um, and I found that in in my exercise practice that when I I started with this goal of of exercising at least three times a week, but not knowing how I would fit it into my schedule sort of fell into a pattern. And now, now that I've, I recognize that pattern of, of exercising Monday morning and Wednesday morning and Saturday after my, my Saturday morning meeting. Now I know when I'm going to do it. I'm mentally prepared and it's just, it's easy to do. Hooking it onto something you already do, I think it could be really a helpful way to to start putting a regular practice if if you're not already doing it and something for me to think about can i can I hook it onto my exercise or what 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 might I hook it onto so that um, I don't have to think about when am I going to do this I'm going to do it right after this other thing or right before this other thing could be helpful. Any last thoughts? What would you say to somebody who's new in the program uh, and really doesn't know how to meditate, why they should meditate. Yeah, I should, uh, I would say they should listen to this episode <laughs> and then do some reading about it. It's mentioned in so many places in our readers. Purge to change has six or seven references. And one day at a time, I just looked at six or seven references and maybe this is a better way to sum it up. Because I know it's hard, and everything that is helpful for us at the beginning seems hard. But once we learn to ride a bike, it's kind of fun, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's the first time dipping over, falling off, and running into the dumpster that kind of sucks. So as my, <laughs> my uh, six-year-old did when she learned to ride, she ran right into the side of a 20-yard dumpster Ouch. with a big clang. Yes. Um, but she now enjoys riding a bike every day. So like anything, when we learn that it helps, we continue to use it if we are people that want to make progress. 
But November 13th, from one day to time, I think is a good reading on frightening nature of getting started. And I'll paraphrase. It says, one word in the 11th step stopped me. Cold. Meditation. Each morning I set aside 10 minutes and tried to keep my mind on one subject, thinking of all its elements and qualities. At first I concentrated on the idea of this day to which I had awakened. I said, here is a day full of hours and minutes in which nothing yet has happened. I've made no mistakes, suffered no trouble. Just then, my willful mind switched over to the happenings of the days past, and I found myself reliving all the horrors. Stop, I said. You've lost track of your meditation. And back I went to the contemplation of this one single unmarked day. Again, my mind took off in another direction, dread of tomorrow. And again, I brought it back to the subject of today and its unlimited possibilities. Gradually, it grew easier to make myself concentrate on one idea without staying straying into thoughts of resentment and fear. I am sure these meditations are giving me a sense of reality about my life. I use it on the steps, on the serenity prayer, and on any helpful spiritual idea. It really works. And the point is, it's just to start. It was really, really hard for me to get started. Uh, it would last 30 seconds, you know. But with a little practice, um, I'm seeing the benefits, and when we see the benefits, hopefully as intelligent people, we go back and do it again. And the benefits for me have been immeasurable. Thank you. After a short break, we will continue with our lives in recovery, where we talk about how recovery works in our daily lives and in our meetings. And the first musical selection for this episode, and you can listen to them all on the website at therecoveryshow.com slash 151, that's slash 151, is the group Cloud Cult with the song Time Machine Invention. I heard this song on Thursday. Um, I was listening to an interview with the songwriter uh, Craig Minowa in the On Being podcast, which I also highly recommend. Uh, exploration of all kinds of things about being. Uh, scientists, uh, spiritualists, uh, religious people, songwriters, poets, and Anyway, I heard this song in the in that interview, and I thought, oh, this is a perfect Al-Anon song, and it's perfect for the meditation episode. And you might wonder, what does a time machine have to do with meditation? Well, uh, in this song, he has a time machine, but it only runs in one direction, and it only runs forward. It's a little bit of a problem, because he wants to be able to go back and fix stuff in the past. And I totally connected with that concept, uh, as I imagine uh, many Many people do. Uh, maybe you connect with that concept, wanting to go back and fix things. And it ends with these lyrics. I finally solved the puzzle of my time machine invention. You see, in the future, this present is the past. So if you give this moment your fullest attention, we'll just keep going forwards with no need for going back. So what is meditation about? It's about being in the moment, about being fully here now giving this moment our fullest attention. And so when I can learn to do this, to give this moment my fullest attention, I can live my life forwards and I won't need to go back and fix the stuff in the past. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in our meetings and in our lives this week. 
at a couple of meetings this week. I went to a different meeting this week. My usual Saturday morning step meeting uh, was canceled this week because the place that we hold it, the church that we hold it at, was doing a rummage sale that I guess fills up the whole church, and so there's no space for meetings, or there were people there rummaging, and it wouldn't have been a very good time to have a meeting. I'm not sure which, but uh, some of the meetings moved. Ours just got canceled, and so I went to a meeting Thursday night, which is also a step meeting, and I've been to it a few times before. I knew that it would be there, and I knew that I would get something from it, and as would happen, that meeting was about step 11, uh, which is the prayer and meditation step, and so it was perfect preparation for uh, this uh, this podcast. Let's see. Working backwards in the week. Last Sunday, went to uh, went to my meeting, and we usually that meeting go from uh, the daily one of the daily readers as setting the topic uh, for the meeting, and the topic from the reading from Courage to Change was about tradition one about uh, unity being the uh, basis for personal progress in our meetings. And again, uh, very, very helpful discussion around that. And after the meeting, I met with one of my sponsees where we have been, we've been working through the traditions, working uh, through understanding how we can use the traditions in particular uh, in our family life. Uh, He he and his wife had decided that their theme for 2016 was going to be their relationship, uh, and and so I said, "Well, let's let's look at the traditions." And I think it's been really helpful for both of us to. We only are on the second tradition. We're here. We are in April, but um, we're we're doing a thorough study, I guess. And the second tradition is is the one about there being no authority except for a loving God as expressed in our group conscience, and it's. It's both difficult and easy to see how we can apply that in the relationships in our family, uh, and particularly in, as we're both couples with children who are not living at home anymore, that neither of us is the boss. Neither of us uh, has the final say, that, that we have to uh, come together and find uh, a common understanding of the way in which we're going to to do things in our, in our life, whether it's about finances, about food, about, um, you know, what we do when our children come to us and ask for help. Uh, we, we need to not have one person. Maybe we delegate. Uh, I know in, in, in my relationship for most things, uh, my wife is taking care of the finances and I'm taking care of the food to mention those, those two particular topics. But that doesn't mean that when a major decision needs to be made that we don't consult with each other, or even when I'm planning the menu for the week, I uh, might send my wife some, some recipes and say, Hey, which, which of these appeal to you? So uh, it was, it's a good study and uh, I'm looking forward to, to how, what we find out about the rest of, of the traditions in this work. I was, as uh, if you're a regular listener, you know, I've uh, had some, a couple of colds over the last few weeks that have affected my ability to get the podcast done. Uh, And in particular, uh, sort of knocked me out of my exercise routine because it's really hard to go uh, work out, whether it's running or other exercise when uh, my nose is all stuffed up and running and I'm coughing and sneezing. It just, uh, 
it just doesn't work for me. I had to get back into the routine and I knew I had to get back into the routine because I had in the space of two weeks gotten used to not exercising and, and, and it was starting to feel like a chore again rather than something that I enjoyed and I didn't want to do it. So I went Wednesday morning and I still wasn't ready to, to do running. So I, I did a circuit training, uh, which doesn't require quite as much breath as running. And, and that was helpful. And then yesterday, although I did not have my meeting on Saturday morning and my routine is I go to my meeting and then I go exercise. Um, I did manage to get myself to the gym yesterday because I know that I have to keep that routine going because if I don't keep the routine going, I stop doing it. And yeah, gee, I wasn't able to run as far and as fast as I had been doing before I got sick, but I expected that. And so I did what I could and, and felt pretty good afterwards, nicely warmed up and, and know that, that I am, I'm finding that routine again that I need to have. And I think the final thing that I have this week is, I've talked about this many times, is using step 10 uh, at my job. And we had a couple of uh, problems this week in the the part of the the work that I'm responsible for. And it's just so natural for me now to, to be able to say, hey, um, look, we, we, we had a problem here. This is what we're doing about it, or this is what we did about it, rather than what would have been true definitely before I came into the program where I would have tried to hide it, would have tried to fix it without having to admit it. And, uh, and of course, that, that often doesn't work because people do notice when stuff isn't working right. Uh, and to just be able to be upfront about that and straightforward and not worrying about, oh, everybody's going to think I screwed up uh, is such a benefit that I've gotten from this program. And I love to be able to continue to work that. So, Eric, how is uh, how is your life in recovery? It's actually uh, real, uh, going really well. You know, I have two young daughters, well, one 13 and one 18, so they have both had a difficult few years, but my uh, 13-year-old has been coming over to live with me more often, stay with me. She stayed with me for the entire week or 10 days a week ago, and she's bonding really well with her sister, her older sister. Uh, they're just in love and life right now, so it's a good thing. Um, anyway, in, in, as far as my week in recovery, um, I've been working at a new job, so I didn't get to quite as many meetings, but still made my home group briefly Thursday. Forgotten the topic. It may have been honesty that popped in and managed to get a share in, but I had to get back to work. Saturday morning meeting was on the topic of courage, which was a really powerful mm. topic. A lot of people shared on Courage not only courage to change, but courage to set boundaries, courage to say no, courage to take good care of ourselves, you know, courage to use the tools, and takes courage to meditate, I mean, to, to start something new, courage to make amends. So there's a lot in that uh, powerful topic of courage. Saturday evening, my men's group was on the topic of acceptance. So that's a great one. And then... Um, Something amazing happened. A person about two, three or four weeks ago gave me a book. It's a book called Riding Between the Worlds. The subtitle I'll give you in a minute, but it's about horse therapy, equine therapy, and the power of horses to help healing. I was reading this book. I was so moved by it that I started looking around the state of Connecticut for 
you know, equine therapy centers where I might be able to take my daughters maybe for camp or for lessons. And, you know, there were many, but a lot of them were further away. This is where I live is down, you know, closest to New York City, Fairfield County, Greenwich. By the way, the subtext, the subtitle, Riding Between the Worlds is Expanding Our Potential Through the Way of the Horse. And I was really, really moved by this, even the first two chapters. I started looking around and um, went early to my last Sunday morning 12 and 12 meeting. There was a woman sitting outside before the meeting. Meeting starts at 10. She was outside at 9.30 working on her laptop. And I said, well, you're here so early. She said, well, I don't have internet service where I live, so I'm working on something to help my daughter. I said, oh, well, what are you working on? She said, well, she's doing a fundraiser for her nonprofit organization called Healing With Horses. I said, wow. Um, I was just thinking and looking for something like that. And where is it? She said it's in Norwalk, Connecticut. It's a little humble barn called Getter Barn, and it's literally a 20-minute drive. So both of my girls have been there three times now. I went to a fundraiser on Thursday night, which I thought might be 30 or 40 people. It ended up being about 150 or 200 to raise money for scholarships. Um, the horses are all rescue horses, so they were either abandoned or beat, um, mistreated, um, and they were taken in by this group and uh, are used for therapy as well as riding. So I spent five hours doing volunteer work there yesterday in order to trade that time off for some free riding lessons for my daughters, but we're both going today. And we, over the last week, also finalized, we're finalizing we decided in our district, I'm a GR, and we decided we have 27 meetings a week uh, within our district here in Fairfield County, Connecticut. And at a GR meeting, we decided to do a roundtable workshop and uh, circulated the idea with some possible topics. That the topics um, included things you would imagine like detachment, public outreach, my, my pet project, sponsorship, anxiety, fear, newcomers, crisis boundaries, keep coming, meditation, amends, lost grief. So a lot of the suggested ideas, gratitude, fear. And then um, the groups individually voted on which of the topics suggested or they could write in their own would be something they would be willing to attend or want to attend a, a workshop session for an entire afternoon. Surprisingly, And appropriately, meditation far and away was the most requested roundtable workshop. Yeah, pretty amazing. By far and away, there's going to be five tables of workshops, one on uh, boundaries and detachment, another on fear and anxiety, another on loss and grief, one on parenting, a public outreach, and uh, a Spanish table with a fair, fair amount of Spanish members in the area. And then we're going to finish the afternoon at 4 o'clock with uh, uh, two 15-minute meditations. So pretty cool that that one uh, kind of surprised us all to see that meditation was the most requested, even combining the other four that outweighed them all mm-hmm. uh, combined. So... That's what my week was like, and I'm headed to the barn now to do a little more work and then taking my daughter's riding later today. Nice. Looking ahead, I think the topic for next week is going to be another one of what have been called the gifts of Al-Anon. This one says, Our sight, once clouded and confused, will clear, and we will be able to perceive reality and recognize truth. 
So if you have thoughts on that, want to share your experience, strength, and hope around how your sight was once clouded and confused, how you're now perceiving reality and recognizing truth, or maybe not, please contribute. We'll give you that information in a moment. And last week, uh, I read uh, a letter from Carrie who sent us a whole bunch of topic suggestions, and also many of you have also sent in topic suggestions. And so I will be picking from, from that list for future episodes, we, we welcome your thoughts. Please join the conversation. Leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your feedback or questions. And Eric, how can people do that? You can call us and leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Uh, 734-707-8795. You can also use the voicemail button on the website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at com. We'd love to hear from you. Share your experience, strength, and hope on your questions about today's topic of meditation or any of our upcoming topics. If you have a topic you'd like us to talk about, let us know. And you can get all the information about The Recovery Show at our website, which is com. We have notes for each episode, an occasional blog, links to the music that we talk about, and links to other recovery podcasts and websites. And also on the website is, if you look at the menu at the top, click on Contact Us, and there's a page that has the phone number, it has the voicemail button, it has the email address. And so all of the ways in which you can contribute to the show are are listed there. So you don't have to, if you only remember one thing about how to get a hold of us, it's therecoveryshow.com slash contact. We'll take a short break before uh, looking into our email and voicemail bag, and Eric had a YouTube video that he is suggesting in lieu of a piece of music uh, to talk about here. Yeah, I found this when I was Googling around, and it's called The Scientific Power of Meditation. And, you know, it sounds, uh, I think, to a lot of people in the beginning that it's a bit of hooey, but uh, as we talked about during the actual episode today, there's a lot of very, very uh, powerful scientific evidence that the uh, the science of meditation increases empathy, uh, health, wellness, well-being, you know, the things that we came in for. And uh, there's a very cool drawing, you know, a person drawing a little Buddha guy and uh, a person next to him. And it's fun to watch. Uh, short, only about three minutes, so I think it would appropriately fit in right here and a little bit different. And music, but mm-hmm. uh, talks about learning, memory, emotion, and how these things increase, and how stress, blood pressure, and anxiety decrease with meditation. And I think those of us who practice this know this already, but for people that are new to uh, meditation, this might be a really cool visual uh, to see, you know, the benefits kind of sketched out in funny little animation. And one of the reasons that I include music in The podcast, I'm talking about music and playing it from the website, uh, is because it it reaches us through a different channel than just words. And I think that the video with the animation uh, may also provide a different channel uh, uh, to uh, to learn that's not just words. And so I think it fits in that in that way. New and innovative.
All right. Email Alba wrote, Spencer, I've been listening for one year to your show. I want to thank you for the time you invest in helping others wherever they are. I take the podcast during my morning walks, and I connect through you to the fellowship and its safety and love. I am not alone. They get it, just like me. I've never thought about this. I'm going to try it. I'm going to get this book. I want to go deeper. You have also a very soothing voice, and whoever listens to you feels calm. I like the freedom of quoting other sources of wisdom in the world from different spiritual paths that enrich your talks. I always think that even 12-step program principles can become oppressive when they are used like the truth and the only way to follow. I like the line, take what you like and leave the rest and respect other people's paths. I am in my seven years of recovery, but struggling with active alcoholism for the first time in the last three years because of a relapse. I'm grateful that the five years when I thought the problem was solved allowed me to get to know myself better and how I block myself from being what God wants me to be. I got to experiment, learn how to set boundaries and not invade other people's boundaries and being shocked and discovering that I have mountains of resentments and fears. Me, who have always tried to be impossibly good. Now I am continuing to live my life despite the disease and still trying to find beauty and joy. At times, it's hard to live with an emotionally not available person, but still loving him and choosing to live with him. I get to see the good things he does for me, but also stand up for myself when he is angry with himself and becomes harsh with me. Well, I've given you a long feedback again. Thanks, Alba. Thank you, Alba, for your uh, for your words there. And uh, we got, uh, got a voicemail from Brian. Hi, Spencer. It's Brian J. Listening to episode 150, I think Carrie's email about all the different topics suggestions. And uh, I went to a meeting last night. We read page 109 from Purge to Change, which is April 18th. And it talked about how we are capable of making ourselves happy. And we need to stop blaming other people and figure out how to make ourselves happy. And that really struck me because I've been thinking about that. It's a pretty profound statement. I've let a lot of things and people dictate how I feel in my life at the expense of myself. It also scares me half to death because now I have to figure out what I like and what I want and how I can meet my own needs. And I think I have a good idea where to start. Now I just have to do it. But living in the solution is part of it, too. And uh, one of my other topic suggestions has been on the not-so-happy side. So I wanted to say uh, I hope you're living in your solution today, and I'm going to keep taking it one day at a time. Thanks. Thanks, Brian. And definitely living in the solution is important for me. Eric, could you read uh, Kristen's email about recovery while traveling? Oh, sure. Visiting my husband's parents for Christmas, a home of love, but also denial and blame. I made sure I scheduled alone time and had the recovery show ready to go on my phone. I listened to an episode and was able to laugh and stay on track with my detachment. I found time to read Courage to Change every day. Another time, I spent a weekend in the city, New York City, and made sure I found a meeting that was on my way to the train home. 
It was the best way to spend my free time, and I loved everything about this meeting. I still remember it so fondly. More than any show or exhibit I could see, it was a true, quote, city experience. I felt right at home, not a tourist to the to recovery. I feel closer to my HP and my higher self when I am traveling because there are more unpredictable factors and more self-care required than in everyday, everyday life. The program has helped me accept strangers in difficult situations with love, which makes traveling a journey and not an inflexible plan. And wow, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff in there. Um, yeah, that's a good one. And I, this idea that, that in, in visiting New York, you could find a meeting on your way to the train. Um, yeah. I guess <laughs> there's probably one every block. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you know, I have a cousin who, who came into uh, AA recovery in, in New York. And he said that there are meetings 24 hours a day, yep. seven days a week, no matter when you need a meeting, there is one happening. Yep. Uh, so some advantages to the big city, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, really short question. Somebody emailed me, said, Hey, a friend told me that episode 13 was about shame. I would like to listen to that. How do I find it? Much thanks. And if you've got the episode number, it's really easy. You go to therecoveryshow.com slash and then type in the number and it should take you right there. Uh, we also have a topic list and it's this great, huge um, tabular list of topics and each of the topics that we've talked about has an episode number next to it. You can actually click on the, the number column and it will sort it out by number. Or you can click on the topic column and it'll sort it by topic name and so on. And somebody pointed out to me recently that that page is not up to date. And that is true. It's probably been about a year um, since I've gone in there and updated that page. So I need to get back to it. But episode 13 is definitely there. I believe it was me. That told my friend about episode 13. Oh, well, hey. Um, <laughs> and that? your friend wrote to me, and there we are. It was Thursday. And the t- that now I just remember the topic of Thursday's meeting was shame. Aha. Okay. Yeah. Well, here we are. And yeah. uh, if, uh, you know, if that if that episode doesn't do it for you, uh, maybe we'll do, do another one because it has clearly been a few years. It's amazing to me, actually, that it's been... Um, well, three and a half years I've been doing this podcast now. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Alba did, and thank you again, Alba. We've put together a list of recovery-related books. Click on the books link at the top of the page or the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we receive a small commission. And I want to thank people who have used that link uh, because I got a little little Amazon gift card uh, from people who are shopping uh, for books or other stuff um, by using the link on our website. And And it helps to keep us going, helps to support the things that we pay for to to be there for you. And the last song selection is Gravity by John Mayer. And you can again listen to this at therecoveryshow.com slash 151. The song was suggested by Eva. She picked out some lyrics. Gravity is working against me, wants to bring me down. Never know what makes this man with all the love that his heart can stand. Dream of ways to throw it all away. Oh, gravity is working against me twice 
as much, ain't twice as good, can't sustain like one half could. Wanting more, send me to my knees, gravity, stay the hell away from me. And Eva writes, this is a song about making sure you still love yourself, making sure you still have your head on, making sure you still say no the way your mom would say no. And I will need it every damn day of my life because it's easier to mess up and forget the lesson of still loving myself, have my head on like the wise ones before us would. Thank Ava for that uh, for that suggestion. Thank you for listening and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. We did not talk about a problem you are facing today. Feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.